Welcome to Career Gin Wags for the 21st Century. My name is Catherine and I've been working with clients for over 20 years and I think that's given me some insights into how to help people be happier at work and obviously how to find a new job. But today I'm going to take a bit of a detour and I'm introducing a new series which I'll intersperse with two other series, my traditional podcasts. I'm going to have a short, sharp and shiny series for those people who prefer to digest information in short bites. But today's my MBTI series. I love MBTI. Anybody who works with me, who comes into the office to work with me, picks up straight away how much I love MBTI. And if somebody says to me, look, I've only got one hour and I really want to work out where to head in life, I always recommend MBTI. Now, that's a bit unusual because most career specialists would say that it's career values that's important. So why would I do an hour on MBTI, not career values? I think it's because if you understand your hardwired preferences, that is going to affect your career values and it's going to affect what it is that you're good at and what you like doing. And it's likely to affect the industry sectors that you want to work in. A little bit of theory before we start. MBTI, if I start from the back, the I stands for indicator. It's not a test. So if you do one of those online assessments, it's pretty well a waste of time. Anybody who's an accredited Myers-Briggs assessor is actually ethically bound not to do that. We will only ever deliver Myers-Briggs with the follow-up session. And if there's any doubt between people's profiles, it's their feeling after the session that governs what their profile is, not how they may have answered in the assessment. The second element is the T. So the T stands for type. And now there's two things to think about here. One is there are 16 possibilities. And from a career perspective, it seems to be the perfect amount of detail. So when people look at their profile, they get this aha moment of, okay, now I understand. If I ask people what their profile is in a year's time, they usually can't remember it. And for my purposes, that doesn't matter because all we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, think about people's hardwired preferences and allow them to use that information to make good career choices. And the MB stands for Myers-Briggs. It's a mother-daughter combination. So the mother was Catherine Briggs and the daughter was Isabel Briggs Myers. They were building on Carl Jung's work. So the very famous Carl Jung, who made us aware of this idea of his that we all have hardwired preferences. Okay, let's deal with this label issue. Some people feel quite uncomfortable about it being a label. Yes, it is a label, but it's not all-encompassing. If you use the analogy of your favourite room in the house, if I ask, what's your favourite room in the house? Now, for me, it's the bedroom because I read on my bed and I look out at the garden. It's, it's the room I love being in. That's what we're talking about. Where do you feel most comfortable and happy? What's my least favourite room in the house? Okay, it's the laundry. Do I go into the laundry? Yes. This is not about you only staying in the bedroom. This is about you, of course, understanding that at different times in life, you need to go into the laundry. But from a career point of view, we want to uncover those hardwired preferences. And just to finish off, if you're really sceptical, since 2006, there's a person called Dr. Dario Nardi, and he's been conducting hands-on brain research. 
And what he does is he uses the insights of real-time EEG technology where he gets people to perform activities that match their personality preferences so that they're in the zone. They're really quite comfortable doing the task. And then he matches that against which areas of the brain are lighting up. And he's the one who has, I think, compelling, dare I say, evidence about the link between personality preferences and the MBTI tool. What I'm going to do each session is take you through the MBTI profile. Some bits of it are going to be really deep and detailed. Other bits are going to be short, sharp and shiny. And then I'm going to end with a bit of fun. In today's episode, I'm going to start with ENTP because that's my profile. If we look at an overview of an ENTP, they're sometimes referred to as visionary personalities because of their passion for new, innovative ideas. They're sometimes called life's entrepreneurs, and certainly that rings true for me, not as in wanting to have a huge empire in life, but as in wanting to forge my own pathway in life. And I often joke and say I'm unemployable. To summarise the ENTP, they scan the environment for opportunities and possibilities. They see patterns and connections that are not obvious to others, and at times they seem to be able to see into the future. Let's do a breakdown of the four letters that make up the ENTP profile. It stands for extroverted, intuitive, thinking, and perceiving. Extroverted indicates a person who loves to spend time with others and who's energised by it. Intuitive is somebody who focuses on ideas and concepts rather than facts and details. Thinking is somebody who makes decisions based on logic and reason. And perceiving is somebody who prefers to be spontaneous and flexible rather than planned and organised. But now I want to go a bit deeper. Even if you do an MBTI session with a practitioner, sometimes they don't have the time or take the time to delve into the differences within the intuitor group, for example. So an ENTP is an extroverted intuitor, not an introverted intuitor, and the two are quite different. So I'm going to read you some comments about extroverted intuiting. These people perceive options that are inherent in a situation and they focus their energy on generating new possibilities. They notice implications beyond what is concretely there and they see patterns and connections on the spot. They jump from one idea to the next and they focus on ideas behind the people or objects rather than on the people or objects themselves. And as I said, that's quite different from an introverted intuitor. The other element in regard to an ENTP is that they are an introverted thinker. So they're an extroverted intuitor introverted thinker. And once again, an introverted thinker is quite different from an extroverted thinker. So let's look at some of this introverted thinking. Introverted thinkers organize objectively what is perceived according to an internal framework or a model or a blueprint. They systematically explore ideas rather than objects. and They're always doubting and always questioning. They classify, categorize, sort, clarify, make precise and analyse. And they're continually sorting and resorting ideas and data into categories, searching for precision. As I said, you're probably not likely to hear that anywhere or read that anywhere. That's some of the in-depth analysis of an MBTI profile. Let's look at statistics. They're a relatively rare profile. 
3% of the general population and more common in men, 4% of men, only 2% of women. Statistically, and we're talking about American statistics here, they're the least likely of all types to suffer from heart disease and hypertension. On a personality tray scale, they tend to score as enterprising, friendly, resourceful, headstrong and independent. They're amongst the types who are most dissatisfied with their work, despite being amongst the types with the highest income. And they're overrepresented amongst those with type A behaviour. The core of an ENTP is that they understand how systems work and they're very resourceful in manoeuvring within them to achieve their ends. They're stimulated by difficulties, quickly devising creative responses and plunging into activity, trusting to their ability to improvise. They show boldness in the face of challenge and are not afraid to try and fail and try again, perhaps hundreds of times. ENTPs are likely to be creative, imaginative and clever. They're theoretical, conceptual and curious. Analytical, logical, rational and objective. Assertive and questioning. And finally, open-minded and unconventional. Some of the famous ENTPs throughout history, Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, Thomas Edison, Benjamin Franklin, Leonardo da Vinci, and Machiavelli. As a career specialist, of course, I'm interested in where each type finds career satisfaction. There's a fantastic book called Do What You Are, and again, the link will be in the show notes. In that book, it talks about 10 key drivers for career satisfaction for each type. In the interest of brevity, I'm only going to talk about five of them. So let's look at five of the key drivers for career satisfaction for ENTPs. They need a work situation which acknowledges and encourages their creativity, their competency and their ability to improvise. It needs to let them experience a variety of situations filled with fun, action and excitement. It needs to let them meet and have constant interaction with many different people, especially those they respect. It can be done in a rapidly changing, high-energy environment with significant interaction with others. And finally, it's better if it's done in a casual and unstructured environment where they have a high degree of freedom, time off, and the opportunity to operate in a spontaneous way. I want to move to talking about ENTPs in the workplace, and there's a wonderful book called Working Together by Isaacson and Behrens. I'm not obviously going to talk about everything they talk about in relation to ENTPs. I'm just going to take one piece of information from each of the categories that they talk about. So firstly, when we look at management style, the management style of the ENTP is likely to be one of a visionary who communicates the general outline of the vision, but then lets everybody do their own thing. Because they prefer to be allowed to operate autonomously, they tend to assume that others do as well. When it comes to workplace values, they hate a lack of willpower, especially when the payoff is important. The basic attitude of an ENTP in the workplace is one of scepticism. While they are open to new ideas, they are sceptical of the validity of those ideas until logically proven otherwise. When it comes to skills, they can keep several issues in their mind at the same time, and what's even more amazing is they also seem to be able to talk about them simultaneously. 
The driving force of an ENTP at work is that they have a very high need for achievement. But this achievement is most often measured by standards set by the ENTP, not by society or the organisation. This achievement need is reflected in a constant drive for competency and an ever-present, even if hidden, fear of failure. When it comes to energy, more often than not, ENTPs seem to believe that there's nothing they cannot do. They typically will attack any task or problem with more gusto than most. When it comes to authority in the workplace, ENTPs want the person in charge to be knowledgeable and competent. They do not grant authority because of position. They will question authority and test it, especially in their own area of expertise. Individuals they respect tend to be doers, movers and shakers. When it comes to conflict resolution, ENTPs enjoy a lively debate and may be quite outspoken, but overall they prefer an atmosphere of calm. They learn through conceptualising. They are adept at learning abstract ideas and less adept at learning by association and rote. Finally, when it comes to blind spots and pitfalls, ENTPs find bureaucracy frustrating, with protocol and paperwork a waste of time that could be best spent designing and defining. What is it about ENTPs that makes them attractive to others? Now, there's a group of aficionados of MBTI on Quora, and so I've headed there to get this feedback, so maybe take it with a grain of salt, although I am comfortable with what these aficionados are saying. ENTPs are attractive to others because of their charisma, their childlike sense of adventure and fun, their commitment to open-mindedness, their creativity and originality, their sardonic, witty, clever sense of humour, their ability to encourage others to not take themselves so seriously, their extremely perceptive insights into the inner workings of people and systems, their innate ability to poke fun at people in a manner that is accurate yet light-hearted, and the secret tender side that they only show to certain people. As I said, I want to finish off with a bit of fun, again from this Quora group. They go through various situations, for example, describing what each type might have been like at school or what each type is like responding to rules. And so I want to finish off with how would an ENTP typically behave if they had a crush on you? If that's the case, you can expect lots of jokes, flirtatious teasing and intellectual debate. They'll focus their attention on you by asking questions and challenging your assumptions, typically late They'll try oh so hard to show up on time when you're involved and they'll keep the blurting going on as long as possible. They also will want to take you to a quiet place away from the noise and interruptions of other people where they can get to know you. Their excitement and nerves will probably give away their interest in you. Where to from here? We've covered lots of elements of MBTI. I think firstly, if you know your profile already, go to the show notes for further links. If you want to explore your profile, as I mentioned earlier, don't do it online, go to an accredited practitioner. Even if you know your profile, there's a more recent development or a more recent analysis available, which is the MBTI Step 2 Interpretive Report. And this shows the effect of life and life choices you've made on your preferences. 
me, for example, I will always score as a feeler, even though I'm the most analytical T you could ever imagine. That is because I think I was brought up as a very strong Catholic, so as a very early age, I was encouraged to think about other people and care about other people. The MBTI Step 2 interpretive report highlights where your behavior is different to your preferences and gives you a lot of valuable information, I think. Use MBTI to make career decisions and to thrive in the workplace. And I use it a great deal in my relationship. The first time I met my husband, Phil, and we went shopping, I couldn't believe it. And then I thought, well, that's how a sensor would shop. And so I respect the way he shops. I just don't go shopping with him. I meet him later for coffee. So I think what MBTI can help you do is not just understand yourself, but understand and respect others. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share the podcast or leave a review. And next episode, I'm going to talk about short, sharp and shiny, which is for those people who want their information in more digestible bites. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, there's full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you'll find an article on the topic, an infographic, a video that summarizes the different elements. And I do a fortnightly mail out of videos, blogs, infographics and podcasts. If you're interested, you'll find a sign up form on the website. Let's finish with the hashtag. Hashtag, why not be happy at work? <laughs>